Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 7, The Reckoning. Pete, in show news, let's not forget Skywalker Sunday is tomorrow. We'll be talking that movie on this feed. Wherever you're listening, it'll you, to this, you'll get Skywalker Sunday as well. Uh, also, Pete, a chance for somebody to win a Funko Pop. How's that going to work? Yes, your Funko Pop The Child prize could await. We will pre-order, and this will send to you as soon as it is available uh somewhere somebody is putting these things together feverishly with the force uh all you need to do to be eligible for that raffle is to leave us a rating a review on apple podcasts to this podcast feed or to the fantastic geek podcast feed the pop culture podcast so pete this an episode that dropped early uh either to make the path clear for star wars fans or to advance the story we'll talk about that in a bit but it feels like it's been so long since i first watched this episode low all the way back you know wednesday four days ago so let's not dilly dally it's time to hit the hunt the razor crest chugs along through space as the child snores softly in the cockpit and the Mandalorian checks his beeping holographic email grief carga wants to call it even and I mean Carl Weathers via holophone here still punching through come home friend and help me I'm alive too the client has taken over the city let's make a plan use the child as bait and we'll clean up I mean you get the whole at least apparent thrust of the episode up front, clear for the audience, ready to go. Also character understanding that honor among thieves and all of that. And, you know, Mando had the attack coming. Grief Karga had the shot back coming. They both have lived time to work together. At least that the cover story at this point. And uh, I don't know where the Mandalorian was going, Pete, but he hangs what my notes call a space right. That's when you <laughs> burn some rubber, uh, space ball style, leaving streaks in the sky because uh, he's literally turning right to head somewhere. As we head to the title card, The Mandalorian, Chapter 7, The Reckoning. The Razor Crest touches down in the familiar forests of Sorgan. And Cara Dune is gleefully beating the crap out of a Dathomirian Zabrak, Darth Maul species there, Matt, that uh, taps out eventually after he's choked with the electronic binder between them. Pay up, mud scuffers. Space boxing with a space rope betwixt them. Is it space MMA, perhaps? Uh, wow. Pete, is this the origin of MMA on our planet? Is Cara Dune uh, the, the, the sporting mother uh, of which uh, Gina Carano is, is the daughter? I don't know, Pete. It's all connected. It's all That's generational. That's my headcanon now. There you go. 
uh, much as in the Zahn novels, uh, hot chocolate is a thing that existed before human civilization. I know because Luke Skywalker drank some uh, at the beginning of the first Zahn novel. But I digress, Pete. Back to the Mandalorian. Uh, he sees Cara Dune win. He then pitches her on the operation with her to provide muscle. She is reluctant to be seen by the authorities. A little new character background stuff here, uh, or at the very least new shading in terms of she has done bad, bad things since her time in the space service. Uh, so it's no across the board until the Mandalorian says that the uh, the client is Imperial. With that, she smiles and she's in. In space underway here, uh, she asks if his contact needs to vet her, but the contact doesn't know she's coming. They leave the child in the cockpit. Of course you can leave him up there because you can't. Uh, picking out guns here in the weapons locker. The child, of course, looking down, upside down from above. Just a great use, again, of this prop of the way that they treat the character. Um uh, Dune wants to know if it's okay to bring him back to Navarro, but that's why the Mandalorian is bringing her. And then it is alarms, and they are pulling the child off the joystick, something I still need a jip of. <laughs> well, Pete, just to rewind half a, half a click here, the notion that though Karga uh, does not know Cara Dune is coming, uh, but the Mandalorian is sticking with her. I kind of read that very much as Pete, what I think the cool people call ride or die, which is to say <laughs> he's communicating. She is part of the team and he is fully committed to her. Um, but uh, certainly back to the cockpit here. Um, yeah. Don't leave the child to fiddle with all the fiddly buttons when you're at light speed or even sub light speed. Probably uh, not a good idea. Uh, we also get the central conflict restated. The kid can only be safe if the imp, that's the Imperial Pete, is dead. Uh, and uh, ultimately, though, this idea that neither of them can leave the child alone in the ship is proof that while Kara is the muscle, someone else needs to watch the child. So, Pete, time to take another space right turn uh, to where? To the Ugnaughts farm on the still unnamed planet that the child was on. And uh, though the Ugnot points out the child hasn't grown much, so there's clearly been a passage of time, um, the Mandalorian notes it might be a strand cast, and the Ugnot uh, doesn't think it was engineered, so perhaps we're closing that door on the cloning argument. He worked in the gene farms. The child looks evolved and uh he comes to know who cara dune is a shock trooper a dropper also called here he served on the other side you know the imperial side he paid out his clan's debt and he's now free and then the murder robot comes in with tea uh this is true our heroes draw their blasters but flashback time story time uh, the Ugnaught, soon to be named, though not named yet, uh, rescued the broken uh, space-dead droid, which is to say 
on the one hand the droid kind of had basic functioning on the other hand i believe what the neural harness was completely shattered or words to that effect the point being this flashback here really trying to hammer home that uh that quill got the droid that was memory erased essentially and built it back up from nothing we see that we see him physically fixing it uh and then working with the droid to teach it basic things like walking properly reading context so you don't drop heavy crates on adorable little uh alien lizards and the bottom line is, at least for my satisfaction, Pete, the show makes a compelling outline that IG-11 is now, as they say, cool peeps. Yeah, I love that the exposition within the montage, the claiming of the droid in accordance with New Republic Charter. Okay, so the New Republic has officially adopted Finders, keepers, losers, weepers as a law and uh, that this droid will protect and in no way will ever harm anything and setting up the conflict between the Mandalorian and the now named Ugnaught Quill. Uh, and it is Quill who is offered a job by the Mandalorian. Uh, ultimately, Quill won't work for pay. Uh, but will work to protect the child. However, he's going to bring IG-11 and the Blurgs. Uh, that's right, Pete, plural, later uh, to be revealed as three Blurgs. So just so you know, the Razor class, uh, pardon me, Razor Crest class ships can fit lots of people, more trunk space than you possibly could have thought when you <laughs> want to travel with your Blurgs, uh, your full-sized lady friend, your half-sized Ugnaught, uh, and a baby Yoda hashtag not baby Yoda blurgs on board here. It's time to bet on some arm wrestling, but uh, uh, wait a second, Matt uh, going dark. Yes. I think we, the audience can see it unfolding in real time or understand what's going on in real time. Uh, but Cara Dune force choked by the child, the child trying to help friend Mandalorian who's being, hurt question mark by uh by cara dune um luckily the mandalorian breaks things up saying no friend she's the friend uh this fits of course into vague stories of this type of power quill heard of this as an indentured servant uh and then a little bit more background there uh he of course did work that took three human lifetimes to get out of indentured servitude um and this moment of conflict between Quill and Kara, she, you know, accusing him of working with the enemy. Uh, we get a couple of shots of IG-11 watching, question mark. Is he in protect mode, question mark? Is, is he anticipating not going into murder mode, but is he going to escalate his protection? Well, things move on. And uh, as the ship starts to land, the Mandalorian reiterates that IG-11 must stay on the, ch the ship. Are you clear, everyone at home? IG-11 is staying on the ship. Even if you need to wait a week to see how this story unfolds next week, IG-11 stays on the ship. Wait a week? I mean, 10 days. And arguably with the cliffhanger at the end of this episode, I'm going to talk when we get to theories about the, the whens and the whys of things, potentially. But... Uh, yeah, to, to leave you in such a way, but we jump ahead. 
uh, Kara has never been to Navarro. Uh, they lost a lot of rebel forces there. The city Matt has named mud city is dug in deep. I mean, it's in the mud, so there's no cover to drop in. And it was under Imperial control until the very end. Uh, the warlord they're taking out, they're still operating under the assumption that the client is the warlord, not the intermediary that will be mowed down by death troopers because violence. And uh, it's hard to tell what station he was an officer of. He's not bearing insignia. I like that, you know, in the world of Star Wars where so much... So much, frankly, money has been made off of, hey, did we properly name, you know, Garbage Face? Because we need to come up with a better name because Garbage Face is going to be a Phase 3 1982 uh, playset edition. And we maybe need to do a coloring book and we need to do the role-playing uh, module, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I-, I like that here the show, you know, is willing to say... We can assume that the client will not show up next week. We can assume he's not going to show up by flashback, etc. And we're just going to keep him shrouded in mystery. Maybe that's for Favreau and Filoni and company to explore at a different time in another medium, etc. Maybe that's for another uh, team or generation of Star Wars creator to go back and give us the client, the novel, the client, the comic book, the client, the whatever. But here we're just keeping it like we kind of know some stuff about him but we ultimately don't get more information uh and this happening as the razor crest lands on navarro uh and is staring down at grief karga and those three bounty hunters everybody's provided a security detail so nobody trusts anybody got that the blurgs come out uh Mando and his group, Matt, they have the high ground. We know what that means in Star Wars. Sorry about the remote rendezvous point. Things are complicated, Mando. Um, and uh, maybe the shock trooper should stay here because Jawas with the ship. Uh, her uh, presence is going to get the Imperial hackles up. Uh, maybe cover those tattoos so you're not flaunting your win over the empire and the little one comes out in the now shielded pram uh he's what all the fuss is about and the the camera lingering for just a moment on the hip of the mandalorian grabbing towards his pistol and then able to relax but what do you say we all camp by the riverbed before we make our way into town at first light? Nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah, if you were not clear as to whether this was a Western in space, the line, let's walk a spell, then camp uh, by the riverside or words to that effect. I mean, straight out of a John Wayne, John Ford kind of movie. Also, Pete, I would like to propose that though we know Grief Karga is still operating under his original plan to do a double cross, he does look truly bemused when he sees the child. And I know that his turning point is going to come in a bit when his life is saved, but I think that this might be the the opening of his heart to the possibility that he might want to reassess his dastardly plan. Yeah. So amidst feeding the child, uh, who is a, carnivore here uh 
everything's laid out about the plan. Everybody knows what everybody's going to do. It's just a, uh, a group of four stormtroopers, no more than that in any way, shape or form, which is used to great comedic effect to lighten the terrible tension of the late part of this episode. Nothing can go wrong. And then we are attacked by Pokemon dragons. And then the lizard birds came. Uh, two blurgs are taken. Uh, one bounty hunter pulled into the night sky as well. Uh, Pete, for a whole lot of sharpshooters, they're having trouble hitting these giant lizard birds. Maybe it's because of the the penetrating darkness and the small campfire. Uh, I, I guess I'll grant them there with the visuals. Also, grief Karga gravely wounded Pete. I chose that word carefully because we see poison is in his arm. It's working its way up. They have one med pack. Do they have another? Uh, no, say the remaining two bounty hunters who all but pull into their pants and pull out their turned out pockets to say me no ned, uh, med pack. This Pete, until the child walks closer and closer. Wait, a callback to one of the earliest episodes, but this time what happens? The child who uh, Carl Weathers so tremendously sells looks like he's about to eat him <laughs> uh raises the hand the wound closes the affectation of let's not have the child pass out this time like it did when uh uh it used the force to stop the mudhorn but to just fall on his adorable butt is perfect uh and of course I guess Pete will save for the theory discussion. I mean, clearly this informed by Rise of Skywalker and what came first in the story creation chicken or egg. I know which one aired first, and it was this episode in a in in a surprising and uh, fulfilling bit of uh, Star Wars within 24 hours of each other. But uh, Pete, the next morning, Grief Karga stands on the ridge. Uh, I kind of was hoping for the ridge overlooking the city, a la, you know, A New Hope and whatnot, but oh well. Uh, but Grief Karga taking a moment. Um, you might miss on first view that the two bounty hunters uh, who are at the rear of the shot are slowly reaching for their own blasters. Uh, but this is when Grief uh, draws both of his, shoots his two bounty hunter mates, and explains that the plan was for Mando and company to be killed. But after last night, no way. Now Grief Karga is committed to keeping the child safe. Yeah, couldn't go through with the double cross, but explains that the client is obsessed. Cara Dune wants to cut and run. She wants to uh, kill him and go. This is very clearly a trap. So see that we've got the Mandalorian in the middle. We've got Karga. We need to do this. We've got Kara. Nowhere should we go near this. So that dichotomy set up. Mandalorian is the one who determines the plan. He hands over his blaster. He sends Quill with the child back to the Razor Crest to engage security protocols. Nothing can get in there if, you, if you're safe. All right. It's our safe house. Cara Dune covers up her stripes and they're bringing an empty pram into Mud City. Yes, Mando playing prisoner, Cara playing captor, Grief Karga as the intermediary. Uh, and they enter the city. 
uh two scout troopers are at the uh at the the city's edge and kind of scan them in uh i must confess pete i was a little confused they're asking for the chain code but grief karga shows what i'm what i felt like was his ticket and not a chain code but it it all works out uh we see that there are many stormtroopers in the city uh intercut with all of this is quill making his way back to the ship but the focus ends up being the city, the bar in particular, where the client is happy to see Mando and the pram. Uh, indeed, he wants to see the child right now, even though the child is sleeping. Oh, man, Pete, increasing tension. <laughs> of course he's sleeping. And uh, this makes the perfect time. Little little chit chat, you know, the exquisite craftsmanship of the ancestral artisans of Mandalore here. They're going to have a libation to close their shared narrative. Whoever wrote the dialogue of the client, or maybe even uh, Herner Verzog said, you can type this stuff, but you cannot say it. You let me say it. Uh, did a great job with the characterization. Mr. John Favreau, you write dialogue so exquisitely. I shall check out the other literary classic of your America called Swingers, 1997. <laughs> it will teach me much, yes? <laughs> I would like to do the swing dance in season two. Uh, but I digress, Pete. Uh, the client stepping away to take the hollow call. Here we see that it's Moff Gideon. Pete, thank goodness he gets named up front. No name mysteries. We've been talking about that on the Mandalorian podcast. We've been talking about that on the Runaways podcast. Here, up front, clearly stated as Moff Gideon, uh, who isn't as sure about the client having the child. Uh, and there's a moment of confusion. Then, shocking to my eyes, Pete, Blaster Fire takes out the client square to the chest. I don't know how many shots were hit but this was not a pew pew john wayne you know tie a band tie a bandana around the cut this is a you know this is a shotgun blast to the chest the client's down stormtroopers are down when the air finally is quieted we see that the whole bar back window has been blasted open a whole detachment of death troopers standing out there looking in yes and this is TV code for really bad guys, not because the stormtroopers are outfitted in black. We've seen these before in Rogue One introduced there, later used in uh, Star Wars Rebels. But when stormtroopers take out their own stormtroopers and accurately so, you know, they're really bad, Matt. And by the time the Imperial transport has dropped off a bunch of white clad stormtroopers, the Imperial transport that began design life as a just off screen toy in the late 1970s to then used canonically in Star Wars Rebels and now used in live action. So Favreau clearly owned this toy and Filoni has had him use it now. Um, only four stormtroopers? I think not. This, Matt, is the scene we've been talking about where the 501st 
finally used so many stormtroopers. I would argue that in addition to the death troopers, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, most famous for Breaking Bad, Gustavo Fring, that his dirty stormtroopers, I will now christen as meth troopers. <laughs> um, there is at this moment, Pete, what I would argue is a fatal mistake, one that tugs at the heart. Um, we have the Mandalorian radioing Quill to hurry back to the ship. But in what is, to my mind, the first time we've ever seen this, the Comlink uh, broadcast is, is intercepted. It is overheard by the scout troopers who immediately hop on their bikes and race out of town. So that's right, Pete. What is about to unfold can be laid at the, at the feet of the Mandalorian who was wanting only the best but now has led to <laughs> this most shocking of cliffhangers. Um, but... With all that going on, a TIE fighter lands, the wings bending back, Moff Gideon rising to the very, very top. Uh, then all of a sudden he's on the ground. Pete, I'm going to, the Star Trek fan in me is going to not get concerned about the engineering from which he went from the tippity top to the ground um, because I think there's some engineering concerns there. I'm just going to let it go. Uh, because intercut, Queel is ever closer to the ship. And Pete, my tension is rising. What does Moff Gideon say? The dialogue here and the events that are intercut work so well uh, as he emerges from the hatch, tells them inside that they have something he wants. He knows exactly where it is, however, and uh, that they might think they have an idea what they're in possession of, but they don't. They do not. In a few moments, it's going to be his. Yeah, just a wonderful speech there's a wonderful uh i don't know power to the presentation that giancarlo esposito gives here you just buy his authority as one of the the moths of the empire um and we see that quill is about to be overtaken uh however the ramp of the ship is being lowered so watching it the first time there really really is a question you know will he get there well of course he'll get there it'll be okay pete we don't see the moment but we do see a scout trooper taking the abandoned child off of the ground then quill apparently dead arm outstretched eyes closed gut punch to the heart to end the episode Let's chase down some theories. So, Pete, I guess we can play a round of dead, not dead, etc. The client, dead or not dead? Totally dead. Quill, dead or not dead? Well, he's smoking. We never saw the shot. IG-11 was smoking. I know what you're thinking. Droid. Uh, although, you got to wonder how he was smoking all that time later. Um and uh, able to uh, to be brought back. But Matt, it's not as if we have a character on this show that has the ability to heal people. True, although obviously that character headed in the opposite direction uh, from the Razor Crest. Uh, I guess I'll add one more possibility there. Pete, I know season two is coming, but 
uh, our heroes back at the bar, Grief Karga, Cara Dune, the Mandalorian, about to be dead or not dead? I mean, come on. <laughs> and what this episode does, episode seven, Matt, he'll explain that in a second, firmly establishes our key core group. Yeah, I, and, and I think... I think of all the press that made me think this was going to be more of an ensemble show. I think of the the poster artwork, the you know Disney Plus artwork, and this was the episode where it was like, oh, it's taken six episodes to introduce, fade away, meet new people, fade away, continue the you know solo, no pun intended, man out there in the wild violence of the West story to then have him circle back to the ensemble to the group. Yeah, and I think they were wise to do so. What I'm referring to is, of course, an older TV trope, but basically after seven episodes of a TV show, your formula and your characters are officially baked in. And though it might seem like Quill is gone, and and he may very well be gone, um, we have our core with the Mandalorian, with Kara, and with Grief Karga, who now part of this group, especially since he has a life debt to the child. We get dialogue here from Moff Gideon. Uh, you have no idea what you've got. I feel like, okay, I feel like me and the audience, uh, they have a Force-sensitive baby who can do amazing and potentially even greater things uh i think the characters that are part of the mandalorian core group here i thought they kind of had an idea like they haven't said the force but you know having heard rumors or you know powers that they've never heard of before or that have been whispered about i thought they had that idea do we find out in the next episode what the super grand plan is or is this going to be about the journey and not necessarily the destination we know from the force awakens and the last jedi that stories of luke skywalker have circulated throughout the galaxy by then and that is 20 25 30 years past return of the jedi um to what level are these things on holographic media Oh, now we're going to cut to Luke Skywalker, who's just defeated his father, Darth Vader, through his use of the Force. You could see in the trappings of power and at the highest levels of the galaxy where those things are known and otherwise the, the space magic is is not an ultimately public thing. Uh perhaps akin to like UFOs or uh, sightings of the Loch Ness monster or whatever it might be. And I really kind of like that idea instead of we cut now to somebody using the force to do whatever. So if it's a rumor type of thing and the rumor can be confirmed on both sides here, good and bad, we've we've got the Imperial Moth, who obviously wants to reimpose the control 
that they had. We're eventually heading towards a first order, eventually a final order. And with the idea that the child means more to him than they will ever know, is it a Death Star-ism? He is going to get it and will then use the child to choke an entire system? Is it I will heal someone who is close to me or or him? He, he does know a teacher who is dying of cancer, Matt. Huh. That might be another show, but... Uh, Pete... <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet, so... <laughs> All right. <laughs> To your to your point about you know the the truth of the rebellion, the truth of Luke Skywalker turning into legend so quickly, uh, I'm reminded of a comment that I believe was on the uh, Disney Plus Imagineering Story sixth episode when they're talking about Galaxy's Edge, and the comment is made by somebody who's in charge of um, dressing the the attraction with you know gadgets and gizmos, and the comment is. Star Wars, the world of Star Wars, the universe of Star Wars is perpetually stuck in the late 1970s, early 1980s. And when that was first said, I was like, no, because it's future and stuff. But I think the point is the look of Star Wars comes from then. And all you had in 1975 to build your Death Star set or your Millennium Falcon set or any of those was physical clicky switches. So you're going to go to an aircraft graveyard and you know, take stuff out of there and throw it in the Millennium Falcon as doodads that Han Solo can click. Similarly, I think it's worth taking that aesthetic and saying, that's the basic Star Wars world that they live in. Like, if you made Star Wars, if there was a new Star Wars galaxy created now, you know, what what's the analog for multiple 24-hour news channels and things of that sort. Well, Star Wars doesn't have that because when it was made at its core with the original trilogy, word just gets out there how word gets out there. And, you know, there's only so much time dedicated to covering the news and some stories just get missed because your local newspaper isn't going to cover things going on, you know, around the world. So similarly, these it this has all enhanced my understanding of how the legend of the heroes that we've seen in these movies has kind of faded quickly in a really, really big galaxy because there's not, as you say, now cut to live footage of, you know, the, the eight different news trucks that are parked outside the emperor's uh, throne room as the big battle in return of the Jedi happens. You got to wonder too, to what extent was their state sponsored media, this empire, choking the message back at some point and where do people fill it in to what level is their knowledge you can only imagine in our time if there was media across multiple planets and how difficult that might be to coordinate yet know that out there magic exists with space wizards so it's all believable. You suspend your disbelief of it. I guess the thing that we really have to discuss is with the child using the force, no training having taken place to our knowledge, a 50-year-old child here, when he goes to protect the Mandalorian during the arm wrestling, 
is that instinctual? Is there an evil connection to it? And is that why Moff Gideon wants it? I have a hard time believing that the child is anything other than well-meaning. And I think that on some instinctive level, the child has determined that the Mandalorian, uh, you know, is protecting the child, is good for the child, that there's positive feelings there. So I don't think that the act of choking out Cara Dune was one done in malice. I just, I buy the surface level being the whole level of it being a protective act and, you know, one that she can, I mean, look, she's clearly starting to get choked out and, you know, that's a serious thing occurring, but it's not, you know, it's not that the child now is uh, levitating her out of her seat and, you know, throwing her around the cabin, something like that. I think it's a small demonstration of this great power and it's demonstrated in what is meant to be a a constructive way uh, as best or, you know, maybe a, a protective way is a better way to put it. We've seen malevolent use of the force in choking and then also in terms of force lightning. And it's time for a formal spoiler warning for the rise of Skywalker. So even as spoiler Pete, I'm going to caution you now, if you have not seen the rise of Skywalker, this is your opportunity to stop this podcast to come back. Certainly we want you to listen to the rest of it and definitely check out our rise of Skywalker uh, review coming tomorrow, Sunday, December 22nd, but we're going to make some whole cloth crossover connections right now. Fair warning indeed, Pete. And I can only assume that this include the inclusion in this episode of the child, uh, healing grief carga, uh, in a manner that we have never seen in star Wars before that that was informed by knowledge of the rise of Skywalker script um and i as a viewer appreciate you know somebody who took advantage of the wednesday uh release of this episode and pete much shock uh on social media by the way that the episode came out on wednesday um i wait if only they had told us if only john favreau had tweeted at us i mean it was all over the place that this was coming out. We had talked about how it would be out and yet people are somehow, Oh my God, it's up. Well, hopefully podcast listeners were not surprised at all, but the net result for me as a viewer was we saw in this small story taking place in a tiny sliver of the outer rim. We saw this power revealed on Wednesday, then went to go see a star Wars movie on Thursday where it was, it was revealed again if one can do revealing again and to me as a viewer it was like oh man there's this connection not you know hey i've never seen this before and it's a cheap it's a cheap move and there are the people who are going to be like oh they they had ray and kylo ren ben skywalker use healing because the child can heal with the force now uh they've 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 ripped off their own show not understanding the lead time, not understanding how that was filmed so long ago comparatively. Um, and that, all right. So back up, I knew Ray would use healing as a yet unseen power in the rise of Skywalker. 
she heals the, the, the worm, the snake. Okay, we've used it for a first time. It's used at a critical moment later on. Ben learns through it being done to him that he can do it. And obviously it, it costs him his life uh, to, to bring Ray back. Okay, so there are clearly consequences if you use it, again, force power, and thankfully no mention of metachlorians anywhere in sight. But uh, the thing here, and it'll always be this way, that this episode came out first, the day before Rise of Skywalker. So whether you saw it years and years and years later and oh all right so of course the force can and heal this has been firmly established in a film it's always going to have been here first i know there is this discussion of they did this here first then you saw it in the film had they kept their original release day which is also the day movies come out on friday it would have been simultaneous, but then you're splitting. I'm not going to say split the baby because we don't want that to happen here. Um, you're splitting the difference in terms of your audience. There's a thirst for both to say with the box office the way it is right now. Rise of Skywalker confirmed to have made $40 million on the opening preview night, which gets folded into the Friday, which was estimated at uh, a total of 90 million for Thursday and Friday so far and is on pace for about a $200 million opening, which is right where it should be healthy as ever um, to suggest that they did this first so that it could be there. I, I understand what you're saying. I think you're wrong. Um, they could have held this back. They wanted to give, people this show to defer obviously to the film franchise the reason we're watching this show um and not delay the show longer given that we've got the longer delay heading into the finale on top of the cliffhanger so i think multiple things were taken into consideration and uh ultimately it is the way it is it'll always be the historical canonical foot uh note that the child used healing before Ray did. And historically within the franchise, it'll be that way too. So it is a power that, that exists that had been established and because whispers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, grief Karga and Cara Dune and the Mandalorian never told anybody that, Hey, this child is a healing mechanism. Moff Gideon never, you know, went back and, and told everybody to put it out there and then Ray figures it out on her own at some point because the force is mystical magic. And on top of it, let's not forget, and I'm sure this is a point I'll return to in the Rise of Skywalker podcast tomorrow. You know, we are at a post, post, post Jedi existence in the galaxy uh, 30 years prior when there was the, you know, the, the prequel trilogy. Uh, yes, there were tons and tons of Jedi everywhere. But their powers were on the wane. You know, we get that in Attack of the Clones, where their ability to foresee the future and to foresee the things around them are greatly dulled. Um, so the fact that this is not something that Yoda and company ran around with in the prequel trilogy, on the one hand, look, we know in the real world it's a product of, you know, kind of Monday morning quarterback 
story type stuff. And I don't mean to sound pejorative with that pejorative term there, but you know, it's something that they came up with after the fact, but within the star Wars universe, powers had been fading for a while. Institutional problems were clearly there in that they couldn't prevent the rise of Palpatine and Vader. So the fact that you then have a generation later, no one to be teaching this as a skill. And then you have Luke Skywalker who did not complete his training, who went through two trainers, neither of which finished the task, et cetera, et cetera. Not even to say whether they knew about this as a skill. It's all consistent. And I would add too, as a Star Trek fan first and Star Wars fan second, uh, let's not turn Star Wars into Star Trek where we need to be overly pedantic over timeline, 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 particularly when with a little bit of inference, you can make choices like, oh, nobody knew about this because Jedi on the wane, that solves it completely. I don't need to have a nerd rage. Yeah, and you can undertake this story i mean the mandalorian has brought people to star wars who were not with it previously um there are kids there are teenagers that this wasn't really a thing for who have gotten into this there are adults who are watching star wars for the first time and that may bring them to the movies so as gateway content to to bring them in great and it's exactly as Matt is saying, boy, it's not as if Luke Skywalker or Anakin or Obi-Wan couldn't have used the healing power at some point. I mean, my gosh, Matt, when someone is burned beyond belief and barely escapes death to the point where they have to be encased in an iron lung for the rest of their lives, that the midichlorians might have allowed us to grow Anakin's limbs back um okay but that the emperor drains the life force of ray and ben solo and grows fingers back it is storytelling and you can advance the powers of magic not that it it wasn't established so that you can pass a thing to somebody else because you're linked through space telepathy can't ever happen. It's not allowed to happen that you can't send uh, uh, a projection of yourself. No, you can, you, you can, because there are no rules with magic until you make more rules for it. Right. And I think that this whole notion of the healing, um, it's, and the fact that we see it in this episode and in the movie to my mind, this is Star Wars finally nailing a kind of Marvel-esque synergy, you know, because mo- a lot of that Marvel synergy, it's small, small stuff. I mean, it kind of catches your ear in a big way in Thor 2 when Coulson says, or pardon me, in Iron Man 2 when Coulson says, I got to leave. There's something going on in the Southwest. And you go, oh, man, I heard Thor 2 is going to be in the Southwest uh, or Thor 1 or whatever it is. Like, th- those are fun little moments, but ultimately they're super small. And I think that some, sometimes Star Wars has tried to be too synergistic, um, you know, and if, if it was that handoff from The Last Jedi to Solo where the synergy fell apart completely for whatever reason, well, there you go. Dial it back to this point where this story uses this thing in its own way, and then the movie uses it, 
I mean, obviously it's the same healing thing, but for the, for the oomph of the story, it's used differently. And that's all the synergy you need. You don't need due respect to Ryan Johnson and uh, the whole solo film team. You don't need, do you remember these rather uniconic uh, metal fuzzy die? Because now I hand them to you and now it's a big deal and it'll be a big deal in five months when solo comes out. And it's just like, just dial it, dial it down and here they nailed it perfectly which might pete i'll tie it back to a larger theory might be proof why favreau and filoni in a year two years five years ten years they might be in charge of star wars after kathleen kennedy leaves under her own power or not let's be brutally honest here nothing is going to happen to kathleen kennedy that she doesn't want to happen she's not going to be removed from Lucasfilm. She's had all these successes. The the one thing they have learned that Bob Iger has spoken to is that these are big event movies that need a larger space between them. We've talked on several of our podcasts, Marvel, Star Wars as well, that with Marvel, the films are different enough from one another that you have a film in Wakanda that can come out two and a half months before a film that in part has Wakanda as a setting, but takes place in America and Scotland and on the planet of Titan and all these other places. And there's no confusion. There were people that were confused why young Han Solo was hanging out with Ray when they saw Solo and the behind the scenes troubles there informed expectations what's that they informed expectations i don't think expectations because i continue to watch solo and be enjoyed and entertained by it uh i have a buddy who thinks it is the greatest star wars movie ever um and and that to me is a little bit of a reach but i really really enjoy it i get things out of it that uh, you know, throughout the saga are, you know, high points and that's okay. It, it didn't ruin anything. What did it not do? It wasn't a great critical success. It wasn't a great commercial success in a franchise where they've had, you know, nothing but financial success and better than mixed critical success. But through the test of time, I mean, empire strikes back was not well reviewed and if you do not think that is the greatest film in the saga, you really need to question those beliefs and not can healing suddenly be a power that Jedi have. It's it's too many power changes for me, Pete. Uh, what else is on your radar? So Cara Dune, what has she done that she can't even book passage on a New Republic ship She's got a life sentence uh, or would earn a life sentence with her presence in a lot of places. Pete, I don't mean to be flippant in my answer. I think baked into Star Wars as a storytelling mode is this idea of storytelling expansion, whether it's expansion to sell figures, whether it's expansion to uh, you know sell novels, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that unlike other properties where you basically need to have an understanding of everybody's life, even if it's in one sentence, like 
Aragorn was a king, became a ranger. The end. Welcome to the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. Like, that's his whole existence for the last, you know, several, several decades. Star Wars gives you that room to breathe. So what has she done? I mean, all these ills that she would get in trouble for if captured, uh, they get broadly spelled out. I think that it's enough to give a general framework to say she went from hardcore trooper, you know, killing, killing for the cause to now doing worse and worse things. Uh, probably a lot of which would make for a really violent, I don't know, Marvel, Star Wars, colon, the Cara Dune histories, uh, eight issue comic runs, something like that. Um, specifics, I almost feel like I don't need specifics. I'm somebody who's less into, oh man, did you read the latest novel because it's canon level H and all of that. Whether it comes out live action, comic, novel, you know, hollow chip, whatever it might be, whatever it is, it's bad. Uh, it's things that she seems to be embarrassed of in retrospect and things that she seems to be trying to get away from by merely, you know, boxing for cash MMA style. Mandalorian thinks the child might be a strand cast. What is that? First and foremost, I think that Favreau and Filoni and company put that in there to make it clear like people are going to think because you've only ever seen Yoda and maybe you've seen Yaddle. Uh, but beyond that, this is not, you know, we have a white guy with a lightsaber. There's lots of them. The, the uniqueness of this character, they wanted to give you the time to theorize. And then they wanted to take that away as a theory. As for the word strand cast, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of strand DNA strands casting in terms of you know taking that DNA and copying it, kind of broadcasting it out to a copy, that sort of thing. Um, I think like some of the other lingo, you know, Grief Karga has a you know look at the little he doesn't say rascal, but it's some sort of Star Wars wing. There you go. I think it's just meant to be a word that they made up that sounds like sounds like informal lingo for you know gene splicing but they're not going to call it that they're going to call it you know something else um but again my largest focus is i think the show is trying to clearly say all right everybody shut down those clone of yoda theories ig11 is back at the ship mando doesn't trust droids the child is abducted with the cliffhanger you know that the droid is going to revert or be used in murder bot mode again, right? Well, I don't know that. I don't know that in part. I, I don't know what the programming says with Quill dead. And I know that we can wonder, is he truly dead? Um, and, and I guess that's a, a theory we can tackle in a bit. But let's assume he's dead. Uh, what does the programming do i mean again the episode went to these great lengths to say ig11 was brought down to newborn status here is how you walk here is how you hold things here is how you put boxes down um to my mind protect mode isn't necessarily full-on killer mode i don't i don't know what the gray area is between protect and kill but i feel like I feel like we're going to come up against a block in programming pretty quickly. The one trapdoor to that where I would allow myself to be wrong 
is with Quill gone, what's next? And then Matt, the, uh, the stripes, the, the tattoo that, uh, Cara Dune has her feeling that something more is going on with the Imperials. And it is, does she have as a former member of the rebellion, a greater idea? Has, has she some knowledge of, Luke Skywalker of Princess, then eventually General Leia uh, of the Rebellion, know a little bit more. I, I kind of have a feeling that could be a way we go. A w- more knowledge in terms of those core group of characters? Oh, I mean, almost certainly, right? Um, I think the show would be better served if she says, oh, the old general? You mean General Bleepooplop? And we said, well, we never heard of this before. I just checked Wikipedia. It's a, I don't know who General Blue Blue Plop is. And to just give Cara Dune this whole other section of the Star Wars universe of the, the Rebel Alliance, I would be okay with that. I don't, know that. I don't know that we need to always tie everything in together. And to return back to my earlier point about synergy and when it's overdone, I think you can look to some of the most cringeworthy moments of the prequel trilogy as... George is really trying to tie stuff together. Like, hello, my name is Laws. This is my girlfriend, uh, Baru. And it's like, it's your girl. You, you just can't take hold of the babies without your girlfriend right there because we need uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru uh, and, and things like that. You know, I don't know that it always needs to be connected. All right, extend that antenna. Pete, we start with the Twitter poll and this, some of the best feedback we've gotten via Twitter polls. Uh, one star, not George's Wars with a Z. Uh, that got 0%. Two stars, you like hot tea, 0%. Three stars, Serial Symphony, uh, 12.5% of votes. And then four stars, when is episode 108? 87.5% uh, of the votes. Uh, some tweets here as well. One from uh, James, it's at Big Killin, who says, nice roundup of old friends. Nothing beats a team, team up. Nice touch to preview a feature in The Rise of Skywalker. Best Star Wars week ever. Uh, and then one more tweet from Ben Larson. That's at Larson Ben. Pete, I don't know if sometimes when he's very angry, if he's uh, Larson Kylo, I don't know. But what Ben <laughs> says is, in addition to being a phenomenal episode of the show, it had a perfect, subtle introduction to what is a major plot point in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and I'd seen a lot of people describe the episode as shocking. I think more so referring to what takes place at the end. Um, but okay. The, the inclusion of, of healing unexpected for people to see, um, and the, the timing with which it occurs the day before the film is released and, and a major, major part of that. Pete to the email inbox, we go some hearty thoughts from Mike Sorensen who says, happy Wednesday evening, Matt and Pete. The extra time to get some thoughts on the episode to you is a nice luxury, and this episode is one that takes some thinking. There's very little to not like or even love in this episode, even after two viewings. All the disparate pieces start to coalesce into one big picture as we get Quill, Dune, something of an IG-11, 
and eventually Karga all joining Team Mando for this misadventure. I know by this point you've already recapped the show, so no need for me to do it again. A few, stand, a few of the standout pieces for me to include uh, are the absolutely fantastic lines that Werner Herzog managed to deliver and make mm. sound completely natural. A libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative is such a meta line that it would have been laughable coming from just about anyone else. His reassurance that we'll all be very quiet was also oddly endearing. And then his cool, absolutely in-control demeanor cracking when Gideon called was a rapid, impressive term. Apollo Creedga, sorry, couldn't resist. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, how has it taken us this long for for us not to make that joke and for Mike to get there first? Well done, Mike. Um, Apollo Creedga being afraid that the child was trying to eat him nearly made me spit out my drink. I was all about, the, uh, it was about the least theatrical, best delivered line Mr. Weathers has had on the show so far. The scout troopers relaxing on their speeder bikes was a beautiful shot. I just really miss those moments, the downtime, the in-between moments. That's kind of the whole mission statement of this theory, uh, of this series, though. The fringes, the stuff happening just off screen of the films. Also, speeder bikes are just always cool. Keep your Back to the Future hoverboards and even your lightsabers. Give me a 74Z speeder bike for my make it real movie tech. He's not wrong. Uh, The ending is a perfect cliffhanger, almost. I say almost because if anyone recalls the teasers slash trailers, knows at least a little uh, few things that are coming in the finale. I must confess, Pete, I've forgotten what those might be. So I guess I, I have some extra... You know, being naturally spoiler pure, uh, I guess I've returned to my purity here. Uh, But back to Mike, that keeps it from being flawless, but it's still awfully damn good. And that extra two-day wait for the last chapter is going to be painful. For my earlier message about the 501st being in the show, I think your response was correct, but my thoughts weren't necessarily wrong. I don't know for sure if they were using the 501st as hero troopers or just the extras in the Imperial Clown Car Speeder. (laughs) <laughs> that thing holds a lot of stormies. Oh, Mike is great. Uh, the reason I say both answers may be right, i.e., uh, or maybe he meant is, is because, for any listeners who may be unaware, these scenes and the rest of the stuff from chapters one and three here on Mudworld, or Navarro if you prefer, would have been shot at the same time. They wouldn't shoot everything sequentially, so it wouldn't make sense to have all those guys in armor come out on several different days. But, it, but they may have wanted real actors and or stunt performers for the fight portions of chapter three i would be willing to bet all my mon calamari flan that the guys surrounding the client in the cantina on tonight's episode were miraculously resurrected from the corpses mando left behind in the safe house back in chapter three i would be truly surprised if Werner herzog was even there for more than a day or two of filming to be honest whatever the case may be it's incredibly cool of the creators to include fans that way and it's a great thank you for all the work the 501st does around the world. Okay, that's enough from me for now. Let's get on to the finale with a quick break for a movie screening, which happens for me in about 22 hours from when I'm writing this. Oh, is he going to be okay up there by himself? Pete, that from Mike. All great observations from Mike. I'm surprised given that he was writing that on Wednesday night, no mention of the healing. Uh, that we saw for the child that obviously moves into the final chapter of the Skywalker saga for now, but more talk on that on Skywalker Sunday tomorrow. 
the child's going to be just fine because at this point they in the filming had to know how popular it was going to be and that we will all riot if one hair on his wrinkled little head that Apollo Karga said he had gets uh, touched. So true. So true. And thanks again to Mike for a fantastic email. Pete, we move on to an email from Mary Kirk who says as follows. So I actually had to email about this show. As we all should know, I'm an MCU super fan, but my original fandom was Trek. Last name is Kirk. It was inevitable. I always liked Star Wars, but all the extended universe stuff, I was uninterested. Rogue One was the first thing that really made me super happy with Star Wars. It's because it was a war movie, and I love me some war movies where everyone dies heroically for the greater good. Now I have this show, and I love it so very much. It just gives me joy every week, and not just because the child. Look, it may not be Yoda as a baby, but it's totally baby Yoda. You're right, Mary. Uh, Man, because the child is so adorable, I perish each time I see him. It's the writing, the actors, the music, just the whole thing. Uh, I so hope this is the direction the whole franchise keeps going in, because if so, I can have another super fandom to add to my list. And a couple of thoughts here from Mary. Number one, I love the fact that they spent all season with Mando hating droids versus the rest of the movies where R2-D2 and BB-8 are heroes. But next week, you know IG-11 is going to show up and save him. Number two, after IG-11 saves him, I needed the droid, Cara Dune, and Mando to team up and Baby Yoda, who I still think is faking, uh, that uh, being that much of a baby, uh, do whatever it is he needs to do. I need that. And it's totally been set up by this season, so I have high hopes I'll get it. Your biggest Fantastic Geek fan, Pete, that Mary Kirk. I, listen, everybody's playing for second place, and I've been in uh, contact with Mary throughout, and she has been unabashed in her love of the Mandalorian, and she didn't think she was going to be into it. And way back when in April, I, I boiled it down for her. I said, here's your space cowboy with uh, a child that he will be protecting, and she's like, damn it, I'm in. And it enthuses me so much that we've brought her into the fold, much like we brought her into the Fantastic Geek fold through her other love of Marvel. Uh, So, yeah, I know that as we're recording this right now, she's seeing Rise of Skywalker, really interested in her take on that. Hopefully she gets her email in for tomorrow's Skywalker Sunday podcast. She mentions the music, which maybe we don't mention enough. Uh, oh, this music. the music's fantastic. It really, really is. And I mean, uh, done by Ludwig Gorenson, the Swedish composer who went to school with Ryan Coogler, uh, went to film school, who had a decent 2019 in which he won a Grammy for Record of the Year and Song of the Year for This Is America uh, and won an Oscar for Black Panther. Um, and won another Grammy for best score soundtrack for visual media for Black Panther. So, I mean, this is a guy who who at the age of 35, I feel like is a shoe in before now and the end of his time on earth to become an EGOT winner. I mean, he's got the Grammy, he's got the Oscar. Uh, I think he's looking at an Emmy for the music for this season. So all it'll be from there is, you know, have the guy, (laughs) have the guy write something for stage in New York and get that Tony. But I mean, the music, the music phenomenal on its own. And as you pointed out, Pete, you can 
hear the soundtrack each week on most of the streaming services. Yeah, I listen to Pandora. I know it's on Spotify as well. Um, it, it's tremendous. And I get so much out of the the core themes here. I know you floated when we talked off Mike that this is somebody who's on a, a William-esque path. Uh, that to me is an enormous, uh, you know, idea to even consider. Uh, and I think a guy like uh, Giacchino is a little further down that path at this point. But I think the future is very, very bright for him. I think that the themes of this show will be known very far and very wide for a very long time. John Williams with 51 Oscar nominations, uh, probably a 52nd nomination for uh, Rise of Skywalker, the, the most nominated living Oscar nominee, the second most nominated person after Walt Disney. Uh probably difficult to touch in the nominations area i think williams has about six oscars as well let's see one two three four five he has five oscars um pete that's for your fiddler on the roof jaws star wars et and schindler's list uh so gorenson Giacchino, whoever that'll be touched uh, tough to to catch up with but i mean time will tell huge huge talent uh, Pete, my only regret is between the Russo brothers over in Marvel, Gorenson, uh, for the music for this, I just wish that you would check out Community where all these people got their, got their foundational starts. To Apple Podcasts we go, Matt, where we have a quartet of reviews that are now going to be entered into our raffle for a Funko Pop The Child figurine. The first is from Sergeant Jacon. The headline is Great Podcast, five stars. And it reads, this podcast does a great combination of show synopsis while being thought-provoking. They have well-thought-out segments and do not ramble off-topic like many other podcasts. Great job. Kind words there. Pete, I hope my derivation to community wasn't a ramble, but rather... <laughs> a way to better understand the people who make the stuff that we like now. All related here. Next review, courtesy of Ziegler's W. Headline is, They're Back, five stars. And it reads, Nimble enough to scan the art and craft of all the best new live-action Star Wars and Star Trek. Any chance you'd consider looking at season four slash five? of Better Call Saul or season two slash three Westworld? Uh, great questions. I guess, Pete, we can put that into the the hopper of, of, of hopes and dreams. I would not discount any of them. I don't want to offer a false promise either, but uh, time will tell. Next one here, courtesy of Phil Boots. The headline reads, Addictive Podcast, five stars. And the review reads... Maybe the best standalone show on TV. Other than Baby Y continuity, each show is trip back to the old cowboy shows, swashbucklers, and Indiana Jones adventures. The podcast heightens the adventures due to the big brains on you guys. Need to do more of my shows. <laughs> I guess another request there to branch out, uh, bringing it back as to, we're recording like 
podcast 177 of 2019. <laughs> true, true. Uh, I, I think, though, the reviewer really zeroing in on the secret sauce for The Mandalorian, which is to bring it back to those more basic storytelling archetypes and then build on that archetype, not necessarily you know, a newer thing of mystery box or totally interconnected universe to just kind of keep the story simple and then build complexity from there. And the last and maybe the most eloquent, uh, Matt from, uh, Kavonsky, the headline reads nice five stars. And the review is simply tis. Wow. Thank you so much, Pete. Such kind words there. In an episode where there is Moff Gideon, that great force in the galaxy. Why, it reminds me of another great force. I'm talking, of course, about our pal Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian. Season 1, Episode 7. This is what you get when you're satisfied with standalone episodes. You suddenly get a serialized episode with a terrible cliffhanger. Quite surprised that they changed the format for this episode and actually it's nice. Some podcasts ago I was complaining that I found it too standalone. But after watching The Rise of Skywalker actually I was quite satisfied with the standalone format of The Mandalorian. But now suddenly getting this. Well, I like it. Although the end is of course very sad. Actually I hope a little bit that Quail is not dead. But we will see. Okay, first coming back to last week's podcast. I was making a little mistake about the Mandalorian bringing in Xi'an with a tracker. Of course it was not Xi'an, but her brother, Quinn. Last week I also said that Zero was perhaps the most trustworthy. And Pete argued that. But I didn't mean that he could be trusted in the sense that he is not a bad guy but that he is at least constant in what he is doing and how he is reacting, whereas the whole other bunch is constantly changing their minds. Did my feelings for The Mandalorian change after seeing The Rise of Skywalker in the cinema? Um, Yes, actually, I like it even more. I mean, The Mandalorian. And if you want to understand this, you have to listen to my feedback for The Rise of Skywalker. The special podcast Matt and Pete will do about that movie. Hey guys, is that a good cross-promotion? Okay, getting into this episode 7. Nice to see Giancarlo Esposito, who I really loved in Breaking Bad, as the big bad Gus Fring. Well... Obviously, he plays the big bad here again. I really wonder how much of the Empire is still standing, having this kind of warlord, etc., and this kind of hierarchy structure. What's left of the Empire in the outer regions? Funniest part was, of course, the child trying to pilot the Razor Crest and Garrett Dune saying, We need somebody to watch that thing. And the Mandalorian says, yeah. I wonder when IG-11 offers Kara and the Mandalorian a meal, or he says he has prepared a meal. The Mandalorian says, after a while, I'm not hungry. Is he really not hungry? Or doesn't he want to take off his helmet? 
Okay, many other thoughts and ideas, but time's up. Greetings, till next time. Fred from the Netherlands. I had no concern whatsoever that Fred would not cross-promote us here, Matt. So thank you, Fred, for making sure people know about our Skywalker Sunday review. And I I share Fred's surprise, and maybe I'm, I'm overstating that surprise, but like th- this notion of, oh man, all of a sudden we went serial, we went to be continued, we went back for old story threads. This was suddenly very, very episodic, whereas in a way everything's been standalone by and large. Uh, leading up to here uh i too was not expecting it and when you get that first sense of oh he's headed back and he's headed back for another one oh we're putting a team together it really is this nice moment even if it is a little um outside of what the show has done so far but pete i think fred dialing into at the end of his thoughts here dialing into uh some deep thoughts here is the mandalorian's dislike for the droid so great that he would not eat is the Mandalorian's, uh, you know, dedication to the way such that he would not eat, even if that requires taking off his mask. I like that his disdain would not allow him to show the droid his face, like it might upload it elsewhere. That he'd be known that it could somehow affect his standing with other Mandalorians that he's been seen without his helmet on even though they they all got to eat. Um, and then you could just very simply read it as, oh, he made food. Is it is it poison? Is it a trap? Uh, is he trying to harm them? We have no proof that he took any tea before. Uh, and I think you can read it both ways. Pete, this is an episode where the Mandalorian does open his heart to the team, to people helping him out. And that's just like the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, making sure that our Razorcrest fleet of podcasts stays aloft, talking the back catalog, the current stuff, future endeavors, all helped out by those patrons. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and we have even more coming all takes is a dollar a month to get you in that door and to know that you are helping us can't contribute now. Well, you could always go over to Apple podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review. They're free and get yourself that prize out of it. Pete, all sorts of goodies on the Patreon website, all sorts of uh, modest but ever-building plans for even greater goodies in 2020 on the Patreon page. But there's always going to be something that's free that's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,969 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As mentioned at the top of the podcast, Pete, whether you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed or the Mandalorian Podcast feed, we will be back tomorrow to talk Rise of Skywalker. Then we have some runaways and other fun stuff as the week unfolds. Pete, we also look ahead to the season one finale of The Mandalorian next Friday, December 27th. What will it take? What will twists and turns happen, etc.? 
I know this, Pete. For this episode, it's time for me to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Pay up, bud scuffers. <laughs> <laughs>